0: Hi, thanks so much for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast, where I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Richie Babbage, and you're listening to episode number 20. This week, I get to have a really fun conversation with my good friend, Steve Choi. Steve is a lawyer, an activist, an organizer, a political strategist, and a longtime nonprofit leader. Most recently, he was the executive director of the New York Immigration Coalition here in New York City. In the many decades that Steve and I have been friends, I've come to understand him as a truly gifted advocate and political systems thinker and strategist. In this episode, he shares his wisdom with us. We talk about how important it is for nonprofits and especially small and emerging organizations to really come to understand how they fit into the political landscape of their community and how their mission can be served by deeper partnership with elected officials. And we talk about how to bring real intentionality to looking at the levers that there are to pull in building relationships with elected officials and deciding which ones are right for your organization. What's really exciting to me about this conversation is that it reminded me that leading and building a nonprofit that has incredible and transformative impact Whether you have a $5 million budget or a $50,000 budget, means looking at all of the impact levers available to you and strategically choosing which ones to pull and when. And I am a strategist at heart. I love strategy, it is my happy place. And so, as Steve and I talk about how to push through the fears that can come up around working with and fundraising from elected officials, And we talk about the inherent power that nonprofits have that we don't often know that we have and how to lean into that power. I am really excited by Steve's breakdown of how to push through that fear, how to leverage that power, and how to actually get started building partnerships with government. We walk through the strategy and the mindset of building and leveraging partners uh, partnerships with Elected. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It was a lot of fun for me to record. Hey, Steve. Hey, Brooke. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm really excited to be talking to you. Yes,
1: I, I'm, I'm excited. Let's, let's <laughs> get it. Let's do it.
0: So just by way of context for my listeners, you and I have been friends, I was thinking about it on the train today, for close to 20 years. And in that time, I have come to really see you as a truly gifted strategic and political thinker. I think everyone has their zone of genius and what we're talking about today is is one of yours at like a gut core level. So I'm very excited to share your genius Thank you. with my listeners. Thank you. Thank you.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't say it's genius. It's a lot of hard learned, hard, hard earned lessons about what not to do. And but yeah, no, I, I appreciate that.
0: Genius comes in many forms, Steve. (laughs) It doesn't always come to us pure. Sometimes we have to work for it. So let's start big picture, why we're even having this conversation. When we were prepping, I sent sort of some questions and I highlighted the fact that particularly in this past year, but really even prior to COVID with the election of Trump, particularly small emerging Social justice organizations have begun to think much more deeply about working with other nonprofits, collaboratively in coalitions, et cetera, and with elected officials to achieve their missions. And I proposed a question about whether and why it's important, even mission critical, for small and emerging organizations to think about engaging with government. And you offered a gentle reframe. (laughs) You said that the question isn't actually about whether they should. So let's start with what you mean by that.
1: Yeah. So here's the thing. The issue is not whether to engage with elected officials and the electoral process and politics as a whole because you're already doing it. And mm-hmm. almost everybody is already doing it whether you're conscious or not. And the real question is how, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the reframe that I'd like to offer folks, right? Especially if the work that you're doing has real impact, you are already in the political system, you're already in the electoral system, mm-hmm. and so I would encourage everybody to think about, how am I going to shape what that engagement looks like? Not whether or if you do it, because you're already doing it. If you are doing your work, and let's say you're just doing your work locally, and you might not think, well, I'm not really engaging with the state, the governor, the mayor, this or that. Well, you're probably working together with your local council member, right? You might be working with your local state assembly member. You might be partnering on a public event. They might be inviting you to drop off some materials at their office. They might ask you to speak at a press conference or it might just be on social media. They might be following you, liking the things that you're doing. You might be liking the things that they are saying or doing. So you're already sort of in the mix.
0: I want to actually highlight that because I think that sometimes organizations grapple with how to expand their footprint, right? How to have a deeper Impact than they feel like they're having, and even just the examples you gave about partnering with a local official, partnering with a city council person, having a public event. I feel like some organizations that's a strategy they haven't necessarily thought of. That's a great example. If you aren't doing that, do you think they should be doing that? I absolutely
1: think they should be doing that. Your local elected official, be it your council member, your state assembly, state senator, or even your your local congressman or congresswoman. They are doing events out there. And if you haven't gotten invited to them or you're not engaging with them, you probably should mm-hmm. because more often than not, when folks have problems with, with what however government is working for them, that's the first place that they go. So all of these elected officials I just named have robust public engagement offices, constituent relations offices. They're already working with people in the community that are probably are going to want to work with you. So if you haven't engaged them, I would imagine that the great majority of folks that you're talking to have actually engaged them. But if you haven't, you absolutely should. It's a no-brainer. And the way that these elected officials are, there's a political benefit to them working with you.
0: Interesting. So say more about that. Because I feel like particularly small emerging organizations that haven't, that are new to this, it's almost like working with corporations, right? You have a sense of like what you want, <laughs> but not necessarily what value you're bringing to the table.
1: Yeah. And I think that for a lot of folks who are running smaller nonprofits, I think there's a little bit of an intimidation factor. You might read about these council members. You might read about these elected officials in the newspaper all the time. You think, oh, whoa, they're, those are some really powerful people. Guess what? I think one of the key things I'd like to emphasize for folks is that you have power too. Mm-hmm. And going back to the earlier point. The issue on how you engage electeds you want to create a dynamic by which they're truly working for you and not the other way around. And I think because there is this information gap, right, and there's a presumed power gap between the elected official and you and your organization, I think a lot of elected officials are skilled at turning it the other way around. They think they have veto power. They think they have these levers of power that they can use on you, and what I've learned And some really hard won lessons is that's not the way it works. You have a lot of power. And I think the more that you're able to demonstrate and use that, the stronger it actually makes you. Because when they realize, oh, I don't, when those elected officials realize I don't have as much leverage and power over them, they actually have power and leverage over me. That's the kind of dynamic that you want to create. Now, you don't want to be oppositional. You don't want to always be like being in conflict with local elected officials either.
0: Is it hard, hard to just, work with them sometimes? Yes,
1: exactly, exactly. But just understanding, right, that demonstrating to them that you know exactly how the power dynamic should be, I think is powerful enough to get you on the right kind of relationship and working with your local, your state, your, your federal elected officials.
0: So stay with this issue of power for a moment, because I it really, really resonates with me. I have two questions. One, I think that part of what organizations, well, the first one's really a point. I think this issue of power comes up in relationships with government officials, with funders, with donors, that when you are the leader of an organization, there can be this sense, particularly a young one, a young organization, new one, early stage, where you're trying to get to that first million or first two million, there's a real sense that you are receiving things by grace, right? Mm -hmm. That it's so Mm -hmm. kind of donors to support you and the foundations, you're so lucky to have foundation support and how great is it that they sort of deigned to support your mission. And I would imagine that part of what you're highlighting is that that sense of gratitude, which we should all have in our work, can translate into a sense of, or a lack of understanding of power in any of those relationships. And that that shows up in that relationship with electeds, right? That you're so grateful to get a meeting. Even that phraseology that we used, we got a meeting with, right? Yes, <laughs> we yes. were so excited that they would meet with us. Yes, yes, There's yes. power yes. in that language that I, I hadn't thought about until this moment, yeah.
1: Totally, and there's a little bit of like a celebrity thing that goes oh, along absolutely. with it too. You, you and I have probably been so part of so many lobby meetings where you'll have a meeting with an elected official, and then afterwards, everyone will want to take a picture with that <laughs> official. <And> it's like <laughs> that's not the dynamic that we create. And so when, when people ask me to take a picture, I'll be respectful, right? But there's a celebrity factor that I think plays into it as well. Like I said, they are in the news quite a bit, and you read about them, you see them on TV, and so there's. There's this kind of thing about like, oh, wow, they're a star. I'm not a star, but they are public servants and they're representative. They're supposed to be representing all of us and accountable to all of us. And I think we should never forget that. So in thinking about how nonprofits engage with elected officials, I would say there's a couple of key things, key value adds they bring. So one is actually like programmatically working, right? Mm -hmm. Like I said, a lot of elected officials will have constituent relations, and they, they deal with folks who walk in on a day and day-in, day-out in, day basis who need some kind of help or looking for some kind of service. So there's ways in which you can partner with elected officials and say, hey, you want to refer clients to us, or do you want to work with us on and create a different program here, a youth education program? Let's think about how you guys can be supportive of us on that. You can do a town hall event or some sort of public thing that's co-sponsored by elected officials, right? So there's the programmatic way in which elected officials can be a value add and closely related to that. Sorry, go ahead.
0: And it sounds like with that programmatic bucket, the key or one of the keys is, what is the thing that the elected official wants, right? What issue that they care about or the issues that they care about? Why did they become a public servant, right? So if Mm -hmm. is an elected official that cares very much about young people or housing. How can you say, look, we are doing this work. Partner with us and you actually get to be part of the thing you said you care about, right? The thing you were elected to work on. We can give you access. Yes. We can give you access to constituents, access to people Yes. To make yes. your vision come true. So there's a value mm-hmm. balance there.
1: Totally, totally. And elected officials like working with nonprofits for two yeah. reasons. One, mm-hmm. yeah. nonprofits can Help solve the problems for the folks who are coming into their office in a way that actually makes them look like they did something when often they didn't. And also nonprofits can point to that and say, look, I've worked with such and such nonprofit and we did river cleanup or we did services graduation and it gives them more exposure as well. And so I think there's a symbiotic piece to that as well, where elected officials can also drive, get attention from the media, get attention from the community in ways that actually will help your event, right? So let's say you want to do a town hall and say, we want to provide information about this new excluded workers fund that the state just passed. How can we get undocumented folks up to $15,000? Well, if you want to partner with a local elected official, right, let's say you're in Queens and you say, I want to work with Danny Drum on this, that will draw more eyeballs to your event. They can help drive turnout to some of those things. They can help get the media there so that you can get the word even bigger and broader. They can use their social media in a way that can be really really beneficial as well. So I think there are times where working with elected officials will get more attention from the media and for the community for whatever it is that you're doing that can be beneficial as well. So okay. this kind of programmatic work and the the attention piece, I think are two things that nonprofits should be thinking about when they're doing their work. How can I use these hooks?
0: Yeah, I mean, and funders. I remember when RAP was first starting, my organization was first starting, and we had a staff of three. <laughs> this is in mm-hmm. the early years. And I was doing a lot of testimony city at um, city council hearings, which I'm sure you're going to talk about, on issues of teen parenthood and working with the city. And we had an event, and we had three city council members come and sort of give speeches at this press conference and this event. and. The next round of sort of conversations I had with some of my funders where I was able to show sort of the little report that we had done, the report that showed that we had partnered with these uh, Gail Brewer and a couple other city council folks. They were shocked that we only had three people, like that what we were doing had enough weight to be recognizable by city council people, signaling mm-hmm. to the funders, okay, there's mm-hmm. a there, there, right? It wasn't yes. me saying there's a there there. That really helped us.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. And there's a validation that I think you can get from elected officials as well for other folks. So I think that's absolutely a critical part. And then there is the elephant in the room, right? And for nonprofits, there's funding out there that those elected officials can help you get on this, their city council, like you can get discretionary funding from your local city council member. You can nowadays you can start to get some things. I mean, technically, it's not really there on the state level, but it kind of is there on the state level. Like you yeah. can get the highest <laughs> discretionary funding from <laughs> a. I mean, they might not call it that, <laughs> but your local state assembly and state senator can get you some discretionary funding. And it looks like on the federal level, there's a move to try to reintroduce things like earmarks, which meet would mean. It looks like there might be some discretionary funding opportunities on the federal level, but just on the city and state level, there's so much money, right? We're all hearing about the billions, the trillions of dollars that's flowing through the system right now. There's an opportunity. I would totally encourage nonprofits to go and get that, right? Because if you ain't getting government money, you ain't trying hard enough. Like there is an opportunity there, and again, I would. I mean, there's a little bit of a learning curve. I would encourage folks to look at. Look at Schedule C, right? The city council every year publishes Schedule C and that is basically a accounting of all the discretionary funding that goes out for what kinds of initiatives. Look at it and it will tell you- Organizations that are getting funding? It will list every single organization that's getting funding from every single local city council member, right? And there's a process of engagement that really should start. It should be year round where you're if you're working with an elected official, In the back of your mind, you should be thinking, this person needs to be giving me some money, right? And then Schedule C will give you the information where you can go and say, hey, council member so-and-so, you know, I see that you're giving out a couple million dollars in discretionary funding. We're not getting any of that. Why is that, right? Or there's this other organization getting $25,000, and God bless them. They're doing great freaking work. We need some of that money. Like, is there a reason why we're not getting some of that funding, too? Right. So accessing that, there's some jumping on some hoops. And with any kind of government funding, there's a lot of strings attached. But at the end of the day, I think there really is a big opportunity, especially now with the rivers of money coursing through our local and state government. People got to be going and getting that money.
0: I mean, I had two thoughts um, when I was hearing you speak. And then I, it reminds me of the question that I was going to ask you that I didn't get to ask. My two thoughts were, I remember being really scared largely because I think of some of the power imbalances you talked about, like when I started and it was interesting that it only applied in the fundraising context, because as you know, I mean, I came out of the sort of legislative advocacy world into being an executive director. So working with city council people wasn't foreign to me. And I understood from a sort of political and programmatic point of view, what that partnership could look like. And then I remember talking to a woman who was in my executive director group. She was at the Center for Anti-Violence Education. She was the ED. And she told me that like a quarter of her budget came just from city council funding.
1: Yeah. Not even
0: talking right. about state money. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? What? <laughs> like a quarter. I mean, and their budget was bigger than ours. And I am yeah. I was shocked. And she walked me through her strategy. And the honest feeling I had, Steve, was like, who am I to go into that room
1: yeah.
0: And ask for money. And I didn't yes. feel that way about funders. I didn't feel that way about donors, but something, there was a fear there. Do you think,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I know I'm not the only one, but you've done this for decades. Yeah. Like, yes. what do you think that fear? I know a lot of the folks that I
1: totally talk have yes. Totally.
0: What do they know that that's what's yeah. happening? Nah.
1: And I think that's what makes the money piece tricky, right? Because money, I mean, we all need money for our nonprofits. So much of our work as EDs is about getting that money, Right. Yeah. And I think it really is the source for a lot of elected officials to exercise power, right? Mm-hmm. In this society that we live Act in, money, yeah. it seems like it's power. It seems like it's power, right? Although I'm going to say it, why, why it's a little twisted, right? But I think so many elected officials think I give money out where I'm instrumental in making sure that I can get money to these groups. And therefore, they should be beholden to me. And on the flip side, a lot of nonprofits think, Oh, man, I don't want to jeopardize my funding, right? I don't want to offend this elected official or do anything that might jeopardize my funding, right? And I would just say, there's a funny scene in The Dark Knight Rises, that Batman movie, where there's this bad guy, Dagger, who was basically talking to Bane, and he's like, Oh, I've paid you a small fortune. and Bane says, and you think this gives you power over me? And not that I would encourage folks to channel being, but I would ask you, like, I would, that's the attitude I would take. I'd say, look, oh, you think this gives you power over me? And look, and I've gotten funding taken away from the state. I've gotten funding taken away from the city. And does it hurt? Yeah. Were we in a financial situation where we could absorb that? Yeah. But I think that in some ways, like our ability to think about this, it also taps into our ability to have power over our elected officials as well in a really powerful way. And there's a signal that you can send to the broader political landscape too when I think um, you do this so that even if people try to take your money, you can flip this around and actually make this a beneficial thing. So that's the overall principle that I would take, right? And look, I mean, I'll I'll give you one anecdote, right? So
0: I was going to say. My question actually way back when was... Tell us a war story because you've got yes, yes, yes. so many. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So a couple of years ago, right, the Trump administration comes in. Governor Andrew Cuomo wants to be the white knight, literally the white knight on the shining horse, <laughs> being like, "I'm going to protect New York's immigrants from Trump." Okay. And he announces this, this initiative called the Liberty Defense Fund with a lot of fanfare. The whole time we're like, "Okay, this sounds great. You're going to provide support for New York's immigrants with legal services." Where's the beef, right? Right. And then finally, he did some bullshit and then did not put any real money in there. And we went ballistic. We went scorched earth. We attacked him. We publicly, we ran some robocalls against him, called up the New York Times, and we were like, you need to do an op-ed criticizing Cuomo for putting some bullshit out there about how he's protecting immigrants, right? And, not really, and, then, yeah. and then they had to call the governor and the governor had to be like, well, no, that's not actually true. So he was pissed, yeah. right? He was freaking pissed. And I got calls from his office saying, okay, you do this, you keep on this track, you're jeopardizing your funding, like the, the million dollars that you get in the state. This is
0: the like fear. Like that's in jeopardy. The people, what you're saying right now is like yes. the yes. worst case scenario in people's minds. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and it was super explicit, right? And I remember, but I mean, as an advocacy, I mean, a million dollars hit to our budget, not insignificant. But at the time, I thought like, and this was something that was shared with our leadership. Like, we're not going to, we're not going to, like, we don't, this is not how, you respond to bullies, right? Like, I mean, when bullies try to come at you, right? Like, it was almost like feeding us red meat, giving us like red meat. We were just like, okay, you think that's going to stop us from then We're going to double down on shit, right? And we did that. And I remember, like, there were some people in the Cuomo administration where I would call them up, and be like, yeah, go ahead, take our funding. You think it's going to make us stop? And at the same time, I would call up the other uh, folks in the Cuomo administration that I trust, and I'd be like, don't you touch any of that funding. If you touch that funding, there's going to be shit coming for you, right? And so. I did get a call from some of those folks later, and they were like, yeah, we're going to have to cut your funding $300,000. And I went ballistic, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, how can you be, you know? And they were like, well, and basically, this person who I trusted was like, you can go and talk to the second floor about that, which in the second floor is the executive chamber. That's Cuomo's thing, right? Yeah. So long story short, did we lose funding? Yeah, we lost some funding. But it also established a dynamic, not only to the governor. But also to all the other elected officials, all the, not just the other elected officials around us and around them, but to all of the other nonprofits as well, where they're like, Oh shit, these guys are, these guys are serious. They're not going to back down. Right. And they took that head and they kept on chugging. And so I actually think it fundamentally changed our relationship and our dynamic with the governor, where the governor realized he's not going to shut us up. And we had actually more power to him. Like the governor keeps a lot of organizations sort of like at heel with funding promises, but it demonstrates everybody that if you need someone to take on the governor, the New York immigration coalition was not afraid to do it. And I think that sort of intangible strengthened our profile for so many different organizations, right? Just a couple of years ago, there's a city council member who did the same, like, and they did it in a much more sneaky fashion, right? They, Basically were responsible for cutting $700,000 from our city council discretionary grant. And the reason why was because he was pissed. He thought that like we had critic, some of our staff had criticized him on social media, right? And he kind of tried to do this under And I called him up and I said, and I basically said, if you're going to do this, tell me why you did it. Look me in the face and tell me exactly why you fucking cut our money, right? And like, and, and, you know, and he, hedged and dodged and said, no, that's not true. And I said, I know it's true. Other council members told me it's true, right? Why did you cut our funding? He He would not give a straight answer. Then what we did was I realized, especially nowadays, we have other tools, right? So we went on social media, blasted him, put an article on the Daily News, accusing him of doing this exact piece, right? And so there was a political spotlight that was placed on them. And which really sort of leads me to this point, which is that in today's world, right, the power of elected officials to cut their funding is there. But our power as nonprofits to expose that, to bring those threats into the light, then has- and to create accountability using social media, using media, in ways that demonstrates to everybody that you're not fucking around. Like, that to me is a difference and I think a real something that I think nonprofits should lean into because we have power in ways that I think we did not before.
0: I think that's right. I mean, two things I want to lift up about what you just said, and I always love hearing your (laughs) war stories. First, people that run organizations are mission-driven, right? We're there to achieve a mission. We're there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And funding is a really important part of achieving that mission, but it's only one part. And so part of what I hear you saying is, for organizations, even small ones, even emerging ones, maybe even especially small and emerging ones, and there are ways to do this collaboratively, right? When I was small, we worked a lot in coalition, right? So it doesn't have to just be your organization shedding light, but asking yourself, okay, what are all of the different levers that I can pull to achieve my mission for the people in the community communities that I'm fighting for and working with and getting funding for our programs is one and holding the government that is such a part of our lives accountable for providing the services and being what they should be is part of our mission, right? It's part of why we are can't do everything we want to do and change the systems we want to change without doing that. And that's sort of undergirding what I hear you saying and recognizing that and figuring out what's my role. In holding them, in partnering with them and bringing them into my mission-based work. So going back to the original point, it is mission critical. It has to be part of our mission. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Totally, totally. And I think the other piece, right, like I think elected officials think they have power over us because they can be responsible for funding. I think the flip side is I think a lot of nonprofits are a little hesitant to actively exercise our power over elected officials, and that is in the electoral space, right? So a lot of, I'm assuming everybody I'm talking to, all, all the folks in your podcast are C3, C3s and there's a lot of talk about what do 501 C4s do? What about PACs? What about That's independent right. expenditures? All that I think can be really helpful. And I think for a lot of nonprofits, they have this fear like, oh my God, if I do this the wrong way, it's gonna be illegal. That's right. And we're gonna jeopardize our 501 C3 status, right? Yeah. Like. I can't do that because it's illegal. I'm violating campaign finance laws or something like that. (laughs) I mean, again, I would say I think those fears are overblown. And There's a way to use C4 work. There's a way to use endorsements. There's a way to use PACs in a way that can really, really move some of the things and used in the right way that can be incredibly powerful tools. Because number one, I think once you start to dig into that, and look, if you're running a social services nonprofit, you might not think a C4 or a PAC is going to be all that helpful, and you might be right. Yeah. But I think being knowledgeable about those tools is really critical. And for an advocacy organization, it's essential, That's right? right. Yeah. Because the bottom line with elected officials is they care about policy. Yeah. They care more about their jobs, right? <laughs> they care about policy. They care more about their jobs. So if you are just going to engage them policy, they will engage you in that but when you engage them around policy and you engage them around their jobs whether you're threatening to take their job or whether you're helping to keep it helping to keep their job then you're not fighting with one hand tied behind your back you're bringing the whole toolbox to the table and it makes for a much more three-dimensional relationship with those elected officials right and so it's an incredibly powerful thing the lawyers alliance of new york has a lot of great tools and to some help great trainings yep exactly great training is about 51c3s 51c4s lobbying i encourage folks to check it out even if you think i don't need to do that stuff i'm just providing services i'm just running a youth program being knowledgeable about that can make a huge difference because a c4 using your c4 makes a huge difference i mean two examples that i would just give one is in 2016 when there was the new york state presidential primary going on and you had hillary clinton and you had bernie sanders vying for the New York state, the democratic primary, we used our C4, which had been pretty dormant until then to engage. And we said, basically we went to the campaign, the Hillary campaign and said, we will endorse you if, but we need to, you need to make commitments on these three things. And we never actually imagined that she would engage us on this. She did. And she made some big national promises about what she would do for immigrant integration if she won. And mind you, our C4 had no staff, our C three it had a five or six million dollar budget, yeah. dozens of staff. C four we didn't even have a functioning website. In fact, they were, at a certain point, the eleventh hour, they called us. They were like, "Why do you not have a website?" And we we're like, "Well, our website's going to act," you know. And it almost blew the whole thing up. But that was an eye opening thing because with no resources, just the endorsement power, we were able to extract promises that our six million dollar C three was not able to do.
0: One yes. of the points you made earlier about the value add of being a nonprofit in partnership or relationship with an elected official is people, right? Yes. Not particularly community-based ones, have access to actual people, <laughs> exactly. stories and humans and leveraging, I don't mean that to sound sort of political and yucky, but understanding that the lives and stories of the people that you work with are powerful. They are, those people are powerful. Yes. And you are their voice in conversations with government, right? Yes. You are bringing their voice into those conversations and saying, wait a minute, whoever you are elected person, you are elected to represent and serve and support these people that I am here on behalf of. Exactly. And I'm going to exactly. hold accountable to that. Yep, yes. Absolutely.
1: And I think I talked about some of the ways in which elected officials can be helpful. And the flip side is, those are the levers of power that we can use on elected officials. Yeah. Elected officials are responsive to money, right? Mm-hmm. Money coming in for them, money coming in to help support their re-election, money coming in against them, right? Mm-hmm. And they're also responsive to their public image, mm-hmm. right? And we have power over that with media and social media. And they're also responsive to people power, right? Our ability to have influence over people, voters that they care about, who are ultimately going to decide whether they get to keep their jobs or not. And so those are the three levers of power that you can use. And you can use power in ways that don't necessarily mean an endorsement. You don't have to run an independent expenditure supporting them directly. You can kind of hint at that power in ways that will get them to do the right thing, right? And the last anecdote I'd share with you is when we were running our driver's license campaign, there was a very powerful elected official. And we basically said, we knew that this elected official has a competitive race. And we said, okay, listen, so-and-so, we can either do two things. We're going to send out 10,000 mailers, right, to your triple-pronged voters. And the mailers can either say, you stood up for immigrants when it counted. You stood up for New York's immigrants when it counted. Or the mailers can say, you failed to stand up for New York's immigrants win account. And there's a picture of like a this person smiling next to the Statue of Liberty. And then the negative mailer was like the person looking all downcast, right? And really like, wow. we were like, you choose which of these mailers we send. Right. And so we didn't make an it's not about making an endorsement. In fact, I think this is a tool that more nonprofits should use. It's not, I understand. Nothing about making an endorsement. It was just, but a C4 allows you to do that. It allows you to send stuff. To identify okay who is this person triple crime voters and and we're going to send some mail soon and funny enough this person actually represented my district so we actually sent and this person came through <laughs> after we gave them the Pick choice postcard. <laughs> we picked the right postcard and we it's like we live up to we always parent that so you have, you know, yeah <laughs> so we sent out the mailers, and it was funny because a couple months later my wife got the mail and was like, "Oh, what is this?" And I was like, "Oh, that's it." And so I, I took a picture of it and I texted it to him. And I was like, "Hey, look, just as a reminder, <laughs> you know, I what I got in the mail." And he was like, "Great to work with you." But that so that's an example of how you don't necessarily have to make an endorsement. Right. You don't have to get out and try to get that person elected or fight to get that person out of office. But targeted ways in which you can use and hint at the power that you have can actually really move that elected official in ways that they think they're going to be responsive to you and not not forcing you into a bad power dynamic with the other way around.
0: So I want to sort of close out by highlighting two other themes. So we've talked about fear and power, which seem to come up in a lot of my conversations about sort of running and growing nonprofits. And I think that the strategies that you've offered are just fantastic. And I want to highlight just two through lines that I see. So the first is relationships. Most of what you've talked about, and even in your anecdotes, you referenced texting the city council person, texting the city assembly person, getting on the phone, having relationships. And so when you talked about this work being year round, some of it is about fundraising. Some of it is about programming. The third piece is just about people, right? Building relationships so that they know your voice, so that they understand the communities you're representing. And that is where that leverage and power comes from and influence. And then the second through line is intentionality, right? So whether you are going to form a C4, you have a C4, whether you are an advocacy organization or service organization, what I hear you saying is understand there are tools, there are levers to be pulled. Understand what they are how they work, and then decide which ones are the right ones for you to pull. Exactly, But be in the arena, like understand yes. that you are in that arena and decide an totally. intentionality how you're going to play the game.
1: Yes, I totally agree. And, you know, on the first one, absolutely important. Relationships are important. And the relationships with elected officials are not always going to be peaches and cream, yeah. right? You know, I've gotten yelled at. And I've done the same thing at a certain point, you're like, you yeah, know, there's nothing to stop me from saying the same shit that the people <laughs> that they're trying to say to me. So but I think if I were running a nonprofit a local nonprofit, every time I met an elected official that was a local city council member station, I would say, Can I have your cell phone number? Just want to make sure I can give you the heads up, right? And I think a lot of EDs are like, I can I really ask, get that person's cell
0: phone number? It's well, like, I, yes. like you've been <laughs> I mean, before you were at New York immigration position like you've run small local nonprofits like this is exactly you have done and even
1: then i was like well, i don't know should i is it really appropriate for me to get john Lu's cell phone number and then i i always tell people yes it's totally appropriate go and get i would ask it every single time right like and i do that with congress members with state assembly members with council members every time we meet with schumer like be like give me your cell phone he doesn't want to give it to me but it's <laughs> fine <right? laughs> yeah i'll have other people's cell phones numbers and, ask. There's no harm in asking. They're not celebrities. You should do that. You should be building a relationship. Understand though, sometimes there's going to be weird shit coming from them that you have to be like, like you're going to have to deal with. But it's like we talked about communication. It's better to have that stuff explicit up front and the relationships on a real level, as opposed to sort of like submerged or at a distance. And then the second point that you made totally, the way I would totally encourage nonprofits to think, Okay. This is the potential value add that working with these elected officials can give to my organization. And these are the ways in which I'm going to engage them, right? With that intentional of a strategy and understanding the power dynamic and the levers that you have, right? Both the carrots and the sticks, Mm -hmm. right? That makes things really, really powerful, right? You might, and I totally encourage folks to do that. You might say, you know what? I'm in a district that's gentrifying, which sucks, but That means that there's a lot of DSA members moving in there now, and they're really politically active. So, this elected official is very responsive to them. Okay. So, that means that I have this kind of power. Maybe it means I have social media power because a lot of my staff engage with DSA. They know that. They're going to up the stuff. So, then I know that my lever of power on this local council member is with social media. And then another relationship You might say, well, I really want to engage with this person, and this person has this kind of value to bring, right? For example, AOC, she's not going to bring a ton of money to the district necessarily, although she does fundraising stuff, but she has a really powerful social media platform. So for her, I might be like, I'm going to try to work with her staff to and lean into that so that she maybe she can tweet about my events coming up that I might be partnering with her on or use an IG Live to do something that's her value add to me, right? So being intentional and thinking about what are these elected officials? What can they do for you? What's the power that you have over them? And engaging in that way, I think that's something that's, I totally think that the intentionality piece is critical.
0: Well, Steve, I always love talking to you. I'm so glad we made this podcast <laughs> uh, conversation happen. Thank you for joining me today. This has been great.
1: Thank you. And yeah, looking forward to more conversations. Always. Thank you for all the great work
0: you're doing. Same to you. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Okay. Take care. Thank you for joining me this week on the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please share with your friends. That's all for now. Have a great week. And I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.